Welcome to the Bosley Pot Out at Night, mostly. I am Salem, joined by my co-host, Graveyard. Hello. This is episode nine of our weekly All Things Horror podcast. Uh, this is part one of our two-part series on the Hellraiser franchise. This episode will include the first five movies, um, which are the first five that uh, Clyde Barker actually had some contact with. The fifth one is very, very minimal contact, but at least they did, you know, consult him a tiny tiny bit the uh the, the the remaining five after this they did not at all so it's our dividing line <laughs> yeah um okay so we will discuss each movie as we go along here um we said we're doing the, the first five we'll start with the very first one which is of course hellraiser on uh yes there's the plot there in <clears throat> graveyard yep so you know the movie starts off you know very kind of like Orchestra, orchestral ominous music. Um, we see a guy sitting like it seems like he's like it's a, living in squalor, sitting in a dirty mattress, and he has this box that he's working with, and he starts to to open it. You know, I think first you push the button on the side, then you take the circle and you kind of spin it around, and then it kind of opens up, and you see some like blue glowing light and fog coming from behind the walls, like the old school wood paneling before you drywall put up like the slates across of it. And then we see a whole bunch of hooks on chains attached to him in various parts, kind of pull him apart and he kind of explodes. Or actually it starts off with him getting the box from a guy asking what his pleasure is. Some in some other country. Then he go, then we go into that. Yeah, it appears to be a shady Southeastern Asia market or something. Yes. What is your pleasure? Right. And, and, and we go from there. So kind of a pretty quick death, you know, in a horror movie, I think. Pretty gruesome first death, too. Uh, and then we find out that um, a man and his wife, Julia, are you know have this house that was their, I believe, mother's. And they realized that is his brother, Frank, who was living there, and they don't know where he was. You know, he just disappeared. They go around the house, and they're either going to move in or sell it. I think they're going to decide to move into it and kind of fix it up, and that become their house. Um, and they start going through the house and realize that someone's been there, but it's been seemingly a very long time. You know, there's rotten food everywhere, uh, just garbage everywhere. Right, and then they go into where Frank was in his room, and you know, find a mattress. And you know, they're they're moving stuff in. Um, you know, we kind of get a little flashback, and then movers come in. The dad helps the movers who are not seemingly very good at their job. You know, getting beers. Um, you know, and then kind of ogling. Kirsty, the the guy's daughter, I don't know how old she is supposed to be. I think she's away in college, so maybe like maybe twenty ish. Yeah, probably. Um and she's not in high school. They start ogling her. But anyway, he cuts his hand seemingly pretty deep and pretty well. Didn't seem like he would have. Um and they they're just going through the house and he drops some blood in this attic or crawl space that's just called wood. I I think it's an attic at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, and his blood hits the floor, and you, and then he leaves, and then you see a really good 
practical effect of a reverse um, melting of a body starting to come up from the ground. And then I believe once that, that happens, Julia goes in there at some point and realizes it's Frank. Somehow Frank came back from being torn apart. Um, I believe then we get a flashback of like the night before their wedding. Frank comes to visit <laughs> and, right. is, and really interested in this, you know, power woman of the eighties with she, you know, her business suits, shoulder pads and the whole nine yards seduces her sleeps with her. And like, there's this lot, just, just lust between them. Um, and we kind of find out a little bit too, as Julia's going through his stuff that there's pictures of him with, uh, there's probably a dozen pictures, but to allude to that Frank uh, strives for pleasure and that he thought whatever this box was would be the next step in finding the ultimate pleasure for himself. Um, and Frank is very bloody, just you know, no skin, um, partially skeletonized, that he realized he said he needs more blood. He needs bodies. And so Julia starts luring men into the house and kills them in that room so Frank is able to take parts from them and start kind of reassembling himself into more of a human form. And I think she brings about two or three guys all together. Um, and then Frank's kind of whole except for his skin at this point. You know, there's lots of kissing and, and stuff like that with Frank in bloody form. Like I said, good, really good special effects for for this movie. And then, so, you know, Kirsty finds out that, you know, Julia's taking these men. She sees her taking some men in there and kind of spies them and realizes that this is kind of going on, that, you know, her uncle Frank, she sees her uncle Frank and didn't realize it was him at first. And then she tries to warn her dad about it. I think she's just trying to get out at that point because I don't think her yeah. dad is there. Right. But she wanted to get her dad out of there too. She, re- well, she, I think she, I think she realized that they're up to no good, that her dad might be part of it, that they wanted to kill her dad. Right. Which, um, is, which is why she eventually goes back. Right. And she goes back to, to warn him. Um, and you know, then she sees that, Oh, it's her dad, but it's very apparent, like around, especially around his hairline, his hair on his head, that it's all crusty and bloody. And the, the, what appears to be her dad is actually her uncle Frank. Cause he says some things that's very reminiscent. It's just not acting like her dad. So she goes and opens uh, the puzzle box, a little meant configuration. She said that, that was that was before that. That was before that. Okay, so she made a deal then, and this is kind of the first time we really see the Cenobites. Right. Um, there's four of them, I believe, at this point. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, they said you open the box. We we now drag you to hell. You know, this is this is what we do. She goes, hey, somehow Frank escaped hell. And is back, and the lead Cenobite, which we don't have a name for him at this point in time, we'll discuss this, you know, we can say it now, it's Pinhead, but we don't get that until the second one, you know, said, hey, you know, instead of taking me, I will give you Frank. He escaped, and he, she had to prove to them that she was telling the truth. 
They didn't believe her that no one can escape hell. No one could come back from this at this point in time. Uh, you know, then they go back. She sees her sees her dad and realizes it's Frank. And then does she call him at that point, or does Frank? Um, when they go when they go back to the house, see that the, the interesting thing is is it it happens off screen, which is odd. Yeah, and it doesn't tell you right away what's happening. You have to like pay attention. But yeah, they go back to the house and they're like they're trying to like that's when the, you know he's wearing the skin suit and all that yeah. stuff, and and she's like scared and, and running and hiding. And then as they go back in that um, attic room, that's yeah, that's when uh, the the Cenobites come back out. But when you when they're running around later on. You'd see Julia, off screen. She, yeah, yeah, because she's just gone at this point. Yes. Um, you see Julia like laying on the mattress, like skinned, like her skin is gone, and she's and she clutching had, the box. Right. Right. Which we don't. There's really not much of an explanation that she's. Why would she be using the box? I don't understand. Uh, we well, I think that. because she got hurt. Right. She got oh, Frank, like Frank stabbed her. Right. Yeah. She was yeah. like near death and so i yeah. think that she opened the box as kind of like a final payback to frank to frank is what but, i what i think happened but she was she was skinned and on the same mattress that we saw frank on you know with all his pictures just the squalor room that he was in which they never cleaned up which was very odd uh, yeah that's and, correct yeah and then yeah so you know christy Christy, you know, gets the Cenobites there. Cenobites realize Frank is alive, and then you see your dad go through the same process. You know, hooks throughout the body and kind of just gruesomely pulled apart. And that was kind of the was that? No, that wasn't in the movie. No, then they were like, okay, yeah, we got Frank, but you did open the box. Right. (laughs) So you're going to come with us anyway, even though that was the deal, but they were still going to get her anyway. And then she was, uh, I believe she was closing. Wasn't she? She was she closing the, the box. box. And right. as she was closing the box, like as she went through each step on the box, like one of the Cenobites like disappeared in the, in the fancy bad lightning that they had. Right. Yeah. The lightning happens every time you start to kind of open the box. You, there's a little bit of lightning effect every single time. But yeah, that's, that's how the defeat, how, uh, how Chrissy defeats the Cenobites is she closes the box, which is, you know, kind of a, analogy for Pandora's box, I feel. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that was kind of the gist of the movie. I mean, there's a lot of good special effects. I know a lot of stuff was cut out from yes. it. Yes, the spanking. The spanking was cut out. The spanking. And and <laughs> the sex scene from Julia and Frank, Clive Barker said he's only allowed two thrusts, and that's it. Well, well, that's what this—that's <laughs> what the spanking was too. Yeah. Like originally, it was like it's supposed to be this like grand, elaborate, like sex scene to kind of show why Julia was like so enamored with Frank. It's, yes, you know, like they kind of allude to like you know he showed her a new world, right? Yes. Um, and then in the movie, it's just kind of—I mean, I guess it's you know passionate, I guess, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but like it—it it doesn't you know it doesn't look to be anything other than like vanilla. But yeah, in the original. Um, script. I guess it was a little, a little bit more racy, and it was supposed to show that she was like, you know, turned her vanilla world around, and that's why was, she was so like willing to do things for Frank. I mean, it it still holds up anyway, but I, it would just put a little bit more background anyway. Right, and I know they took out a couple of the hammer blows that she's she used a hammer to kill guys, and they took 
out right. like, a couple hammer blows. And well, yeah, because there was like scenes of like the hammer like stuck in their head. Correct. Yeah, and they were like, "No, we can't have that." And then Frank kind of exploding, wearing the dad his brother's skin at the end. They heavily edited out, which is ironically because I think they show more of it in the second one. Right. I think that's how, yeah, it's on purpose. I'm pretty, right. he was. I'm sure they were proud of that sequence. And they were upset that it was gone. Yeah, and I know you know Clive Barker got involved with this because he's written short stories. He, he wrote Hellbound, which is what this movie is based off of. The short the Hellbound story. Heart, right? Hellbound Heart, and he wasn't happy with other people that had done you know um, movies off of his short stories and how they did. It. So he's like, I'll just do it myself, right? <laughs> and that's why he kind of you know, wrote and directed this one because he wanted to do this one justice, at least. He was hoping he was able to do it the way he wanted his stories to be told. Right. So, you know, I was, you know, this isn't a first watch through for, for either of us at this point for this movie. Correct. Um, what was your first thought? I know you saw this probably earlier than I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, I don't know, I was like 10 <laughs> or, so, <laughs> or something. I mean, it was like not that long after it came out um, when I watched it. Um, and I, honestly, it blew me away. I mean, I know I've, I've talked about it a little bit before, but right. um, it, it blew me away just with how much, um, you know, like, I mean, even at that point in time, I loved like backstory and lore and, and you know, like deeper, you know, meanings and, you know, things that are not directly told to you you have to kind of you know figure it out on your own and this movie has a lot of that stuff and it was really um like i said it was really the first horror movie that i watched that had a little bit more um you know bite to it you know there was a little bit more to it than just the surface slasher type stuff there was like all this weird lore and and of course i mean the design of of the centibites is just super cool anyway um so you know as as a kid you're like wow those looks awesome (laughs) I mean, I don't think you probably understood the whole BDSM part of it at that point. No, not at that, not at that point. But I mean, they still look cool. You know what I right. mean? Like they're still wearing all like leather and and latex with like you know metal bits and bobs and stuff. And that was was cool stuff back then, man. Right. Uh, I I honestly don't remember the first time I saw this. I don't know if is pro- is probably is probably one of the the number three or four that was on sci-fi at some point in time in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they probably had the marathon. I know seeing Pinhead, I remember seeing Pinhead at the video stores when renting stuff. That was kind of an iconic thing. Um, but I didn't rewatch, like, I rewatched these probably 20-ish years ago as, the, as part of my franchise hunt. Um, I mean, for me, it, it, I mean, it's not a typical slasher. It's not a slasher. I would never call it a slasher because most of the killing is not even done by the Cenobites. Right. They killed the same guy twice. And Julia. And that's it. Right. That it, it, in, in this movie that we see. Obviously, you know, they, they are alluded to being something more ancient, something more evil from, from hell. And you know, probably in the rewatch, I know it's, you know, a lot of the leather BSM designs were cool. Um, for me, for it being kind of an iconic character of Pinhead, is how little the Cenobites are in this. You know, it was more, there's more of the idea of human lust, pleasure, pain, and the human part of it more so than anything else. And hell's just a part of that story. 
Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's just showing, you know, the darker side of people and, and what they're capable of all on their own. It doesn't take hell to put them in that spot. <laughs> they're, they get more than capable of doing it on their own. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's not, it's not, pro- it's not in my top five franchises. Um, I mean, it's probably in the top 10, but this isn't something I typically rewatch a lot. I'm trying to, and I probably haven't watched it in 20 years. Um, or I may have watched it soon. I don't recall, but it's definitely not on my list of things. I, I typically rewatch a lot of. Um, yeah. Hellraiser. I have rewatched. I mean, a lot of times every, every couple of years I'll rewatch it. I love the first one. Did you, did you read the, the Hellbound hurt? Uh, I no, I did not. I've read um, some of Clyde Barker's short stories and novels, but I don't believe I've read that one. I probably should have. Yeah, I th- I think I read this in high school. I knew someone that liked Clive Barker, and they had the list of the uh, a book of their short stories. I'm pretty sure I read it then. I have not read it since. But let's get into the Cenobites and the lore of this, right? And Cenobites mm-hmm. are the big. I wouldn't even call them big bad. I wouldn't even necessarily call them evil. They're just from hell punishing people for doing well, this stuff, right? I mean, in this movie, they're not really even punishing people. They are called. Right. Like the, the box is essentially like a phone calling them. You know, they're like, I mean, they may be misled as to what it means, you know, like what you're going to get out of the box, but they know something weird is going to happen, right? It's like the ultimate, you know, pleasure pain experience like obviously something weird bad is going to happen so i mean but they're called and and they and that's the cool thing is they they follow a rule right it's like whoever calls them it's fair game they can do whatever the fuck they want to that person that calls them and actually does the box right um but they don't yeah they don't go after anybody else all right they're just they're, yeah they just you open the box whether you know what you're doing or not it doesn't matter in their eyes they're just called they're here to pick you up and bring you to hell that's well, it. i mean they don't really get into that into this one but the second one does get into that and it and that is actually different in the, in the second one but like i said it doesn't really come up in the first one as to what that rule is but because the, the people that open the box open it for a reason in this movie so right so what did you think of the centibites you know we have pinheads we have yeah. what do you want to call her open throat lady with her she's she just credited as female Cenobite. Um, and then we have the Chatterer. Yeah. And then we have Butterball. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean they're they're awesome, man. I mean they're 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 cool looking. I mean they they sell the whole movie. I mean you could literally just put a picture of those on on a on a cover of a movie and I would definitely watch it. Um I mean, because they're cool. I mean, you know, Butterball has got those weird glasses, and he's like, you know, obviously a, a heavy set gentleman, right? Um, but then, like later on, he takes the glasses off, and his he's like, his eyes are like sewn shut. I mean, there are just so many weird things where, like, you know, the lady has the the hole opened up in her throat, and she like smokes through the hole, and she's got like all these weird guitar string things all over her shoulders and stuff. They're like right. holding her head up and like keeping her head at tension and. Yeah, and yeah, the, chat, the chatterbox and sh- guy doesn't even have eyes. He just he's just like all teeth, and he's like constantly chomping on them. Right. It it it, it, it re- remind me of the wind up teeth that you were able to do. That's the sound that he made. 
as right. a chatterer. Um, and Butterball wears like Morpheus from Matrix glasses yep. <laughs> on yep. a giant head. Yep. So, I mean, it, th- I think this is a good introduction to the Cenobites, to the lore. I mean, there's so much to it. You don't really get any information about them other than they're there to do a job. Right. And yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Pivonet doesn't even have a name or anything at all. Right. Like, he's literally credited as lead Cenobite. I mean, that's right. it. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like I said, on the rewatch, I think it was better. Like I said, I didn't rewatch in 20 years. I thought it was good again. And like, I enjoyed it more, I think, this time than on the first time and the franchise watched 20 years ago. Um, I enjoyed it more. I, I think I understood more of it. I understood more of Clive Barker this time, you know, in the past 20 years and read more about it. So I, I appreciate it more on the rewatch. But for you, what would some highlights be? Just the design? Um, yeah, I mean, just the, I mean, the design of the Cenobites, I think is, is number one for me. That's, it's just, they're, they're just cool. They really, they really show you that these are like people that, you should definitely be afraid if you see them, right? Something right. very bad is going to happen to you if you walk into a room and these people are there. Like, these are not kind people that are going to do fun things. These are, this is bad news. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the effects are, the practical effects in this movie are amazing. I mean, they are great. I mean, you know, all the, you know, the body, like skeletal stuff where he's coming out of the floor. I mean, him just in the skin suit, um, you know, with the blood everywhere. I mean, it's, they look, Great, fantastic. The Cenobites look cool. I mean, all those effects looked awesome. Um, like I said, I think it's just very well made. Would you say that they are the best looking, I'll use air quotes, villains in a horror movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I definitely give them that. Definitely because, the best dressed. I mean, be, well, because. Michael Myers, nothing special about him. Freddy, he has a burnt face and a glove, but his costume isn't anything. Jason, you barely see his face. And as far as major creatures, if you will, that aren't human, they're humanoid. I mean, I can see why they probably don't have them on as much because there's a lot of pra- practical effects and makeup that goes into it. I don't think they could have them in that the entire movie. So using it sparingly, I think it was a better way of utilizing it and just kind of showing that and just makes it better as a as a whole mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be afraid of pinhead following me around i'd be afraid of pinhead or the cenobites coming after me if i do something like open the box but it's not something that you have to look over your shoulder it's kind of like hey you do this and you're pretty much dead right, right. they don't mess around for the most part <laughs> right but yeah i mean practical effects is is amazing i like i said i don't think any villain has I mean, xenomorphs, but you know the aliens aren't in it as much. You don't see the predator a lot either. Very the sparing use of it, I think, was a good highlight. Um, what about any low points? Huh. Um, I mean, I love this movie. There's there's not many low points for me, but I think the low point, especially on the rewatch, is that lightning effect. That lightning effect has not aged well. It does not look great. It it looks very old. Like everything, all those practical effects look amazing, stellar, right? Yeah. And then you get this this lightning that comes in, and you're like, wow! You just get teleported back to 1985. You know, um, it's like, wow! This is just 
This is terrible. But I mean, I guess that's what they were working with at the time, and that's fine. But yeah, it just on the, on the rewatch, it, that really dates it. Everything else is great. That weird lightning effect, which they put in a lot of stuff, is right. it just dates it. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I, lightning it didn't bother me as much as other things that happen in, in horror franchises, like Phantasm with the weird mirror crystal thing, purple thing. We'll have to discuss on those rewatches. I mean, lightning mm. was on par with I think the special effects of Ghostbusters. And, oh no! I mean, I, at the time it was fine. I'm just saying on the rewatch, it's not great. And again, right. I, that would be that's the low point. I don't, I don't. It doesn't bother me that much either. It's just if I have to come up with a low point in this movie, that would be it. Yeah, I mean, even the box was a practical box. It, it's not like stop motion. It was like, oh, maybe it was stop motion, but it wasn't like computer animator attempted to do it at that point, which would have been horrible, I think, for 1988 to do that. Right. right. But yeah, I mean, yeah, low point. Other than I don't understand why, you know, Julia was this amazing woman that Frank would desire, considering he's been through all this stuff. I don't get that point. I think it was it was more of a domination of his brother thing. I don't think it had anything to do with her. Right. I think he was just he wanted to show up, you know, and and you know, <laughs> bone his to be wife, and then leave with the satisfaction knowing that he can do that. You know, because it didn't sound like that him and his brother had a good relationship. We don't really see the relationship between them at all. Correct. Um, yeah, I mean, the only time they're together is they're, you know, they're, they murder each other, you know, and that's it. That's the, There's no, like, interaction. But, yeah, I mean, the way that he was talking about Frank in the beginning, yeah, I don't think there was any, there's no, you know, no love lost there. I mean, it's, I, I don't think they liked each other, and I think that he was, like, you know, maybe paying him back for, you know, their childhood or something, something like that. He showed up when he knew he wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, he seduced her to just prove that he could. And then he left. He obviously had nothing to do with her after that because she, you know, was still pining after him after she saw him. But I don't, obviously he was gone and he had no other part of that. He just showed up and did it because he could, because right. he wanted to show up his brother. Okay. I mean, he didn't tell his brother about it, so he wasn't bragging about him. I think he just wanted to stick it to him, you know, for his own satisfaction. Right. All right. So our scale for this episode, next episode, are going to be the number of lament configurations out of 10. Correct. So what would you give this of out of 10, you know, 10 being the best, one being the worst? What would you give this? Uh, I will give this movie a 10 out of 10 lament configurations um, just because this is one of my very favorite horror movies, um, especially in this franchise. This is the first one. Um, I'm going to start out strong and this is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, if yeah, we're going if we're doing us on a scale of this movie and this movie as a whole, I, w- I would give this a nine. Like I said, the rewatch really made it for me, I think, on this. I don't necessarily have, I didn't have the biggest love of this franchise, but the rewatches of these, especially the first couple, are amazing. So I'll give it a nine. So, you want to okay. go ahead and talk to Hellraiser yes. 2. Hellraiser 2. Um, Hellbound. Hellbound. Um, yeah, so the plot of this one opens up like like literally the same day as the ending of the first movie. 
Um, and the first movie, um, I guess we didn't mention it, but there was like a, a weird boyfriend that she had in the in the first movie. He was a very very minor character, didn't really do much, but he did go with her back to the house when she went to like confront Frank. All of the dinner party guys. Yes, that she was right. drinking wine with. Yeah. Right. Again, a very minor character. He didn't do anything. He was just a partner there. But um, they do show him in the beer. He's not really in this movie either. But um, essentially, he brings her to the hospital after that whole thing because he saw some weird stuff. She saw some weird stuff. They went to the hospital, like, trying to explain this weird stuff. And so, of course, they just lock her up in a mental institution, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, if you're talking demons that are coming out of a box and, you know, and your uncle is wearing your dad's skin, you know, yeah, you're going to get put into a mental hospital. And that's right. what she does. Right. Probably rightly so. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you hear that story. Yeah. You put them in a mental hospital. No one is going to make a judgment call. On it. Everybody <laughs> knows that's, that's the right place to go. Right. Um, so anyway, so she's in this place and there's this uh, doctor guy who's like very proper, very English doctor guy um, who's like trying to discuss with her what she saw. And she's like, you know, describing what's happening and, you know, going all, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and he seems like very, very interested. And then, he, you know, he leaves. Um, and, you know, and she talks about, um, you know, because Julia, as we said, Julia died on that mattress. Right. Right. Um, and then later on, I don't, I don't know why they, how did she know that the mattress, maybe that, that was just a plot point they injected in this. Anyway, she somehow knew that that mattress was just like the attic. Well, I mean, like she really didn't know about Frank either. I guess they kind of a little bit of a plot hole to where how she knew that stuff because she wouldn't have known it. Right. But anyway. Um, so anyway, so she kind of knew about the floor and how Frank came back from the blood. And so now she knew that Julia died on this mattress from the box so that Julia's body is not there, but the blood is on the mattress. So if there's blood that gets splashed on this mattress, she's going to come back and she's telling the doctor and the police, hey, you have to make sure that, you know, no blood gets on this mattress. Make sure that it's destroyed so that she can't come back. And of course, they all think she's crazy, whatever. Um, and they cut to the doctor stealing the bed <laughs> and bringing it into his house. And like, he's like obsessed with the box. He's got like multiple boxes. I'm guessing some of them were like reproductions or something. Yeah. There's um, at least, there's at least three that he right, had. Yeah, there. There's at least three of them in like glass cases. He's got like all these etchings of the boxes all over the walls and all this, like, you know, obviously he'd been researching this stuff for a very long time. Um, so he gets the mattress, um, and he, you know, brings it to his house. Um, somehow, oh, Lieutenant Gorman, <laughs> I, I said that because he's from, from aliens, the, the Lieutenant from aliens is his assistant. Okay. The doctor's assistant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he feels bad for Kirsty, and he like kind of believes her. Um, so when he sees that the doctor is acting goofy, he goes to like spy on him to see what's going on or he goes to break into his house to see what he's up to or some nonsense like that um so anyway he's there he witnesses all this stuff um the doctor brings in you know the the mattress the bloody mattress into this you know um you know kind of a shrine to the box um and he ends up bringing in one of his patients because they they showed like this underground like patients um ward that he has which is like all these like crazy crazy people you know, like the kind of like cut all over yourself kind of crazy people. Yeah, the guy that believes he has 
bugs coming out from his skin. Right. And right. His skin. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he takes the bug guy who, you know, I'm guessing he thinks no one's going to miss. And he brings him to the mattress and he's, you know, he's like, oh, you need help getting all the bugs off of you? Here's a knife, you know? So of course he starts <laughs> cutting all over his body, right? And he, and he's bleeding all over. So the doctor didn't actually get his hands dirty, but this guy essentially, you know, cut himself all open. Blood gets into the mattress. Um, Julia comes out of the mattress, just like how Frank did from the first one, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Julia comes back. She explains to him, um, hey, you didn't need to, you know, bring a, a whole bunch of bodies here. I'm going to have need to absorb them and, and get my flesh back, whatever. Um, so he, brings her some bodies there's like weird scenes of like him like wrapping her in bandages and stuff and all this bizarre stuff anyway so after uh, they don't say exactly how many times but they show a few people um she's back and she's got her skin and she's fine and again and everything right right um yeah and i'm sure okay now how how did kirsty get into that house did he just bring her from the hospital or did they sneak in they snuck in she went with the doctor's okay, assistant so yeah right because gorman right yeah, yeah gorman got out he, t- he went back and told her what was going on so then they came back to do something about it right because he witnessed um, the events right right so yeah they come back to do something about it gorman is like gone like almost immediately um there was another like autistic girl that was another patient at the um the psychiatric hospital. Um, she has like minor kind of interactions with us. She doesn't talk at all. She just like plays with puzzles and, and stuff like that. Or, you know, she's really yeah, good at puzzles. Yeah. Right. And again, this is another instance. Like I, like I always say, there's so many movies that whenever there's like somebody that's autistic or, or something like that, they always have like some kind of secret skill, right? Some kind of secret power. Every, every time, every time they're in a movie, they do that. And it's, again, it's not fair to these people that like in real life, everybody's like, oh, so what do you count cards? Right. You're really good at puzzles. And it's not, it's just, I don't know. They always, it's like a superpower in movies. They always, it's like a cheap cliche anyway. Um, so they, he ends up bringing this girl, um, to his house to open up the box. So he doesn't have to. Right, right. Because yeah, they're trying to like find out what's on the other side because of Gus. He's obsessed with this box, right? Yeah. So yeah, he brings in the girl to like you know open up the box so he doesn't have to because he knows that whoever opened up the box, bad things happen to him. He knows that much. Um. So yeah. So Kirsty and him come back. Um. To like stop them, they end up you know seeing the room of all the people that Julia has killed, and there was at least like there was what like. 15 people in there 12 15 About, people yeah yeah all chained up right yeah all chained up all like drained like obviously she took them all um so yeah it took that many people to get her skin back apparently um so the little the girl you know they they, they all hide like <laughs> they go in like another room and they're looking through like a one-way mirror uh or sorry a two-way mirror to um to watch her open up this box um, and she opens up the box pretty easily, right? Um, and then uh, the Cenobites come, but and then they go, oh, you know, what? what is the line that he said? It's hearts, not hands, that bring us here? Yeah. Meaning that, like, yeah, she opened up the box, but she didn't open it up for the reason that people normally open up the box. She only did it to solve the puzzles. She wasn't looking for pleasure and pain or anything like that. Um, so they just, like, immediately just leave her alone. And they start, like, 
like looking around the house, I guess. Um, but like as as they do so, like a, a doorway to their world opens, right? You know, just kind of like it opens up a section of the wall and it's kind of like a portal into their world. Right. Um, and so everybody kind of goes into this portal um, and it ends up looking like an Escher painting, right? So where it's like this, they, they do the shot a lot of times where they show like the people walking and like the very lower left corner of this big matte painting. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's just like this big, like Escher, like labyrinth. I mean, it's just like stretches on forever. It's like, you know, I guess this is what hell is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and over it, there's like this big, um, kind of like a squished version of the box. Like uh, it's kind of like a lighthouse in the middle and it's like spinning around, but instead of light, it's like a dark light, like a, like a darkness house, a dark house. Yeah, almost, Instead of a lighthouse, it's a dark house. Yeah, it almost looks obsidian in nature-ish with like a light platform, if you will. Like if you had the light right. bridge, that was yeah, it's light dark lighthouse. I like that. Right, right. And they end up and they end up calling it Leviathan. Like I remember, I don't remember who says it. I think Julia says it later on that that's Leviathan, and that's the reason why she was able to go back. She didn't sneak out like Frank did. She was able to go back because Leviathan wanted her. Right, but like, there's nothing ever said other than it's that's Leviathan. That's like this is like his domain kind of thing, right? That's about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as they're they're going through, they get end up into like this kind of open area, um, where of course they're like they're trying to um get Kirsty. They're trying to get the 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 girl, the the autistic girl, um, Julia and, and the doctor guy are all in there, um, and he ends up getting kind of betrayed. You know, the doctor guy does, you know, because he thinks he's going to like, you know, give this sacrifice to them and they're going to give him magic powers. And they kind of do, but not in the way that he wants. Like he ends up falling into the the box, like a weird big version of the box. Um, and then he gets like all these wires like pulled across his face. Yep. Um, and then he comes back as a Cenobite with like all these weird wires pulled across his face. And he's got like this weird like... It's like a sandworm looking thing, like attached to his head. And he's not like, he doesn't walk around. He like floats around because this sandworm thing is like holding him above the ground. It's like a sandworm, but with like the matrix needle that they plug in the back of their head stuck in the back of his head. Right, right. Yeah, it's 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 like bizarre, but it looks like it's constantly causing him pain because the way like he talks and twitches and stuff, Mm -hmm. like it's kind of like insinuated that things like mixing up his brain or something. Um. But yeah, anyway, so like, you know, he's like, uh, he kind of like takes over um, as like being the the bad guy chasing them around and they end up like going through the labyrinth. Um, at some point they end up going back to the hospital, but it's like a, a version of the hospital that like he made. So he like killed all his old patients and stuff um, and, and stuff, you know, well, he, stuff like he that. had them open in boxes. Lament right. Configurations. Well, yeah, he had the, the patients. Right. Yeah. yeah so like. Yeah, so they're all, you know, dead and, you know, there's hooks and chains and everywhere from all the um the, the Cenobite murders. Right. <laughs> um so they so Kirsty and this girl end up going through um and they're looking through his old like notes and stuff and they end up finding um a picture of Pinhead, but it's Pinhead back when he was like a normal person. World War One Yeah, he's a like World War One officer. Like a right. officer or like a pilot. Seems oh, like. he's, he's a well, he's an infantry officer, but he's yeah. Um, so they they find out, um, you know that the uh, 
you know, Pinhead was a, a guy at one point in time, um, and that he opened the box and then he became a Cenobite, kind of like how this doctor guy became one, right? Right. Kind of the same kind of thing. Um, so anyway, so they go back into the, um, uh, the, the labyrinth again. <laughs> um, and they end up meeting up with Julia, who's trying to, I guess, what is, what is she trying to do? She was trying to like make them like trying to like sacrifice, like she had to bring back souls for Leviathan. That was the reason why that he let her out. Correct. So she was just trying to bring them back, bring back souls. And I think maybe, I think maybe did she have the autistic girl? I think that's why she came back. Why, why Kirstie came back. Yeah. In. Yeah. I was just trying to think of, there had to be a reason why she came back in. So yeah, I think she had the autistic girl anyway. So they were like fighting. And then um, there's like, like a weird void that was like, you know, sucking in all the air and they were like, you know, holding on for dear life kind of thing. Um, and then her and the autistic girl survive, but Julia flies into the void, but like her skin gets like peeled off. It comes off like a glove, like yeah. the whole thing anyway. Um, and in this, you know, the, the autistic girl eventually figures out that the box can also transform into like this weird, dagger looking thing and then when it when it transforms into that dagger looking thing it looks just like leviathan does when it's floating up like it's dark lighthouse right yeah um so they end up going back to the center area um and of course the weird creepy doctor guy is there um and they're kind of like having this showdown thing kirsty gets like thrown against the wall and knocked out and then the you know the girl is like trying to you know have like a standoff with uh with the doctor uh, and then Julia comes back um, and she like convinces. Uh, um, so yeah, Julia comes back. She kind of like, you know, soothes the doctor guy um, that, you know, they're going to um, whatever rule the world together, whatever nonsense they were saying. Um, so she goes back and, um, you know, ends up, you know, betraying and, and, you know, killing the doctor guy. And you find out that it was Kirsty that went back and got Julia's skin and put it on. <laughs> Right. Um, so yeah. So she, you know, well, you went up and out there. She's saving the autistic girl. She's falling, and then she like, you know, goes to hold her hand, and she's pulling her back up, and then you see like her, you know, skin get torn up and stuff. It's weird looking, but anyway. So yeah, they save the girl. They get out of hell, more or less. Um, movie over. Everybody's happy except for all the people that died. Right. Which was a lot. Right. Yeah. And essentially the Leviathan became the box then in the center. Cause I think she, then she folded up into Leviathan shape and folded back out. Yeah. And it was like right, forming yeah. a box. Right. But yeah, she folded into like that weird, like knife configuration and that knife configuration was, was Leviathan. Yeah. Or at least it looked just like, it. right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting. I mean, we, we also see a brief glimpse of Frank again in this, in like uh, in hell, and you know he's. We saw him trapped in hell, and like why he was there and trying to get out of it too. You know, it's almost like yeah. it's almost like they were kind of they were almost like a little bit like they're going through kind of like rooms of hell that each person's own personal hell at some point, like just a couple well, of yeah. people, right? Well, yeah, because Frank's hell was that there was like all these like moaning writhing women on all these like weird slabs underneath like blankets but he couldn't touch them and then right and then when you pull the blanket away there's nothing there right or when you pull the blanket away there's like blood everywhere like whatever it is you can't 
So it's like they're constantly teasing but never following through. So yeah, that's his hell, Mr. Pleasure. Right. It's his hell. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what are your first thoughts of this? I mean, do you see this shortly after when it came out, too, after seeing Hellraiser? Well, see, yeah, here's the funny thing. I never watched this movie be- because I thought I already did. Like, uh, when, I, when you watch the first one, there's, like, you know, minor scenes of her in the mental hospital, right? Right. With, like, that, that weird, like, she goes into hell a little bit, and there's that weird monster that, like, crawls along the walls um, that, like, scares her out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I thought, for whatever reason, I thought that was two, or I thought that was from two. So I just assumed that I had always watched it. Um, but as watching this, I was like, I don't remember any of this. Like I, I didn't remember like the big <laughs> Leviathan labyrinth. I didn't remember all that kind of stuff. I think I think I just didn't watch it. I think it was because when I looked at like you know the back of the box where people talked to me about that movie, I assumed that I did see it because of those parts you know i'm like oh the part in the mental hospital like yeah yeah it's in the mental hospital like okay yeah i've already seen it like i thought i did but i guess i did not yeah oh oh and the other part that i left out um and i guess kind of is important is that yeah she finds out that hellraiser or that pinhead is a normal dude and then when she goes back to and she meets up with hellraiser again or pinhead again um she tells him that he's a real guy and he like didn't believe he's like no no i've always been a demon um, but she convinces him with the picture and stuff like that, you know, you were a, you were a guy first, like that's what happened. And so like eventually, and he like actually like morphs back into the old captain guy. Right. And don't they all, um, they, so they, they, like, they all morph back into their human forms. Right. But they're all, when they die, yeah, <laughs> when, right. when they get, when they get killed. So yeah, the, the original Cenobites <laughs> were in this, so like Butterball, Chatterbox, um, the female Cenobite was in it. It was a different actress, which was kind of off-putting, but she was in like the same basic outfit. So I think it was supposed to be the same character. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this female Cenobite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was like, uh, yeah. So they, they got like, you know, confronted by the doctor guy and they got killed because he was going to take over. Right. And he essentially did. Um, and he killed the other three and then Pinhead was fighting him. And that's how, um, she was able to like let Pinhead get away was she told him about that and then he like morphed back into his normal self and then just kind of left. Yeah. Um, but it kind of freed him, which I guess opens it up for, for three later on in a way, in a way. (laughs) Well, it, it makes the things that happen in three make more sense a little bit. Um, so was this your first time watching it all the way through then? Yes. Yes. I mean, how do you think, how, how do you feel this, compared to the first Hellraiser. I mean, we watched them then, you know, past week, fairly recent, you know, close to each other. How do you think it stood up? Do you think it was a, a, a good follow-up to the first Hellraiser? Um, it was. I mean, it was it was made, I mean, basically, like, within the same year. I mean, it was made very, very close. It was, like, all the same people. Right. Um, I mean, not only, you know actors and actresses but also the the crew the you know the filmmaker everything was the same the guy who directed it, it wasn't clive barker directing it but he was the assistant director to clive barker in the first one clive barker was heavily involved he wrote the script i mean like you know everything it was basically the same people so it was basically just an extension um on it and you could tell they had a little bit more creative freedom in this one um because they were able to, to sneak in a lot more you know blood and guts kind of thing and like you said earlier they even brought back scenes you know like the him getting pulled apart they brought back the scene that was originally cut out 
and they brought it back and showed it again. Right. The real version that they wanted people to yeah, see. Yeah, because like part of his brain was like goes against the wall. It was more visceral oh, right. in it. Right, right. I mean, so would you consider this, you know, we'll, we'll compare that the Halloween 2, the same night type scenario, even though it's like a, a year or two later, it's still right. the same night. It, it feels like it's just a, a good continuation of the first one. Correct. Yeah, like this one, but it's like Halloween two is a is a bad follow up to a great movie. <laughs> um, I I think this one is a great follow up to a fantastic movie. Okay, I mean I like Halloween two, but we'll discuss it when we get that I, franchise. I know, and, but it's it's noticeably worse than the first one is. I'll give you that. Um, you know, so this wasn't my first time. Second time might have only been my third or fourth time on on these Hellraiser movies. Um, and rewatching these, I, yeah, I agree. It was a it was a good follow up. I think it was a good dive deeper into the world of of, of Hellraiser. Um, I'm always intrigued with you know, especially when they show the three different boxes. Where you know, were they uh, replications? Were they different boxes? Because you'd think there'd be more than one box. We don't know enough about the lore in this, but you think if these are demons and if Leviathan wants souls that there'd be more than one box created. And it makes sense the guy collected all the boxes and maybe they do different things. I don't know. Uh, we haven't well, I haven't watched the last three movies. I don't we so far we haven't really seen that get dived into. Um, yeah, not really. I mean, because yeah, as we'll see as we go along here, after the fourth one, they just kind of abandon right all the lore. I mean, it's we'll, we'll get into that, but yeah. So like the first four have some lore. The third one is pretty light on that. I mean, there's a little bit right, but it's more more just like a, a rebirth kind of thing. Yeah, but the fourth one has a lot. Yes, but so like I said, this is your first watch. Like I said, let me watch. I I think this was. Like I said, a very good follow-up to the first one. I was mm-hmm. I was really surprised by how good number two was, honestly. Um so you know, Cenobites, we, we get the same Cenobites. We get like I so said, we get more deep into the backstory. We get the lore that they were once humans. This is the first inclination that they weren't just pure demons from it. Um how do you how do you feel about the lore expansion in this in this movie that they go to hell essentially or the hell dimension um i mean i thought it was it was pretty awesome i mean it was you know like the whole leviathan thing which they didn't really expand on they just kind of expanded on like the leviathan was like you know the ruler uh, or you know god of this little section of hell right i mean that was that was it there was no like interaction with leviathan it was just there um, I mean, the only interaction they had was like when that dark light like went over people, it would like showed them like horrible, like flashbacks of like their own terrible life or whatever. Yeah. But that was it. That was the only interaction with it. So it was obviously like, you know, a kind of like an essence of pure evil type thing, but that was it. Um, I mean, yeah, there's just a lot more. It's like, you actually get to see inside of hell. You get to see how the Cenobites are created, you know, that there's like infighting between them. Um, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that you get to see. And that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. They don't answer a whole lot of questions, but there's a whole lot of extra fun stuff in there. Right. Um, and I know that, you know, with this movie that, you know, Julia came back 
and that she was the idea was that she was going to be kind of the main antagonist, the human antagonist, or I guess undead at this point in time, um, antagonist, and that you know Kirstie would be kind of the protagonist of it. But as we discussed with the next one, that this is the last time we see Julia, you know, right. So what about highlights for you on this? I mean, for me, I think, you know, it, like I said, it was a good continuation. I think the graphics were just absolutely on par with the first one. You still had those. So lightning didn't look any better or any worse <laughs> right. with it. And like I said, it was the other than you can tell it was a different female Cenobite. Other than that, I think it was just a good continuation highlight. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was still pretty gory. I like, you know, I like some gore. I, like, I love the practical effects and the practical effects other than, you know, flat matte painting and Leviathan didn't look particularly good. But yeah, overall, this, you know, the special effects were still on par for everything. Yeah, they showed that matte painting a lot. Yeah. Like they, they showed it several times. Well, they paid some good money for a large painting like that. <laughs> I guess so. What about highlights for you? Um, I mean, for me, it's just, you know, all the kind of extra stuff in hell, you know, like, you know, all the, the, just the atmosphere that was down there. Like you said, there's all the different rooms and, you know, you get to see like, you know, the different, you know, like Cenobites and how they're like created and, you know, how they can like, you know, go in and out of the regular world and like stay in their kind of hell world. Right. Those are the highlights. Mark. (laughs) All right. What about, what about low points for, for me? Um, I just, I, I find it odd that the, you know, the number of bodies that Julie needed and that she got her original skin back, she was less, she was more formed than Frank was, right? She just needed skin. Frank needed a lot more, but he only needed like three or four guys all together. Well, I mean, to be fair... I mean, when Frank came back the first time, he only uh, had blood from the cut on the guy's hand. So it was a very small amount of blood to where when Julia came out the first time, she literally had a whole person worth of blood. Of course, it also makes sense. She was only skinned and Frank was pulled apart. Made out of something to do with it, too. Well, I would not like that, but I mean, Julia had literally just died like the day before. I mean, it was like she was very, very fresh. So, I mean, there's not. And, like, when they showed her on that mattress, she was skinned, sure, but she was still whole. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, I think there, well, there's a lot of factors that, that put it in there to where um, that was. And, and it also, it was, it was, like, fairly obvious that she was wearing, uh, like, a suit. <laughs> the, the, was it, uh, was it Skinny, whoever, the guy that wore it in the ni- 80s, 90s, that wore, like, the suit of the body organs and stuff like that? I'm talking about? No. Okay. Might have been after your time. Well, what about low points for you? Um, low points. I mean, this movie, I don't know. I mean, the doctor kind of got annoying after a while. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, he was just kind of overblown. Like, he was like a brand new Cenobite, and somehow he was like more powerful than everybody else, which was an odd. I mean, I guess not. I mean, maybe Leviathan gave him more power because he wanted him to take over. Or something. I mean, like, I mean, it's 
I don't know how to just to, you know, describe that, but, um, I don't know. I mean, overall, I think it was, it was pretty good. I mean, I don't think that you'd be able to put on someone else's skin that fast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, clothes and all, I mean, she was <laughs> everything in like, what, maybe 30 seconds. Yes. Yeah. So kind of like the final battle would be your low point. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. I'll start on the limit configurations on this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, it's not as good as the first one. It's still okay. Um, I, I'd probably just bring it down to eight limit configurations out of 10. Um. Yeah, I can agree with that. I'll probably also go eight. You go from ten to eight. <laughs> yeah, ten to eight. I mean, it's not not as good as the first one, but there's still a lot of good stuff there. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, overall, I would say it's it's still it holds up very well. It's a very good sequel to a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I think they should be watched together. Quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it takes place like the next day. Right. So it's just a continuation. Right. Yeah. All right. I will go into our next movie, Hellraiser 3, or Hell on Earth. Um, now, I'll, I'll say thing, something off very quickly on about it. It is very 90s. We, well, number two was 80s. Like, this takes a hard direction, I think, in the 90s. I think it's very definitive 90s movie. Um, so, kind of the, the the synopsis of this movie is, you know, we we see a uh, kind of an introduction of you know hell uh, of his name's Captain Elliot Spencer, who is Pinhead. I think I, I believe we see him start to get made, and we I think we get a little bit more background of him. And we kind of get a um, realize that the Spencer the Pinhead's human form is trapped in limbo, uh, and you know, along with the puzzle box, and we get this kind of weird out place pillar of of souls that have you know Pinhead's face, and I think a couple other Cenobites' face, and we see a guy who owns a nightclub by the pillar. And he starts just to kind of mess with it. Um, then we're introduced to kind of the protagonist of the story. Um, it's a re- television reporter, and she's, you know, kind of get a little brief synopsis that she gets these weird kind of one-off stories. She's not, not getting the big news stories. And she's in a hospital, and she sees someone come in with essentially the hooks attached to him that would come out of the lament configuration. Um, and they started to go through there, and then we see him kind of get pulled apart by uh, the chains, as we would see in uh, any other Hellraiser movie. Um, and then, you know, the reporter finds a woman who was with the guy and starts to explain, uh, you know, that the chains came from the box and she had pulled it from the pillar that the club owner happened to have. You know, we you know, we start investigating 
the the background. She's working with her camera guy, and we do get a brief, you know, going over trying to undercover the box and the configuration of what it does. That we see a videotape of of Kirsty, just a brief cameo appearance, explaining the box exists, and that's how Pinhead can come back from hell, or you know, this is his doorway to it. Um, the club, the club owner brings a woman back. Have I think the sex scene that Clive Barker always wanted in the movie? He, you know, they have that in in this movie. Um, and then hooks come out of the pillar and drag this woman into the pillar and kind of absorbs the body into the pillar. And then Pinhead's face, like a you know, like it's a collage of faces on like a rotating pillar. Uh, you know, starts speaking to the owner and says, "Hey, um, I need you to bring me more bodies, more souls, in return for power and you know all the pleasure the guy could possibly want." So, the the reporter starts having dreams about, I believe, her father and like a war and how he potentially died. I think maybe he's a Maybe that's where I got the pilot came from. Um, but in her dreams, she starts seeing Pinhead in his human form. And he starts telling her about you know, his experience that without him, he was the human soul part of Pinhead. And without him, Pinhead is 100% evil and doesn't have to adhere to any rules. Um, so... You know, she starts talking about, you know, discussing this stuff. She tells her now seemingly roommate, who the woman that she met, kind of moves with her and kind of starts, you know, they become friends. And at some point, her friend believes that she's just using her for fame and fortunes. You get ahead in the news feed. And so the she ends up, she was the ex-girlfriend of the club owner, and she goes goes back to him. And, you know, hey, you know, he's very abusive to her, you know, very chauvinistic, very womanizing guy. Um, so, you know, he gets, she gets fed, the, the girl gets fed to Pinhead. And essentially, um, there's Pinhead's now set free. He's out of the pillar and is able to roam the earth. That's how we get hell on earth for the title, I believe. And he starts going to the club owners. I think he lives above the club and kind of goes down and starts killing just everyone in in, in the club. And you know, none of open the box or anything like that. So he is wreaking pure havoc and he doesn't have the constraints that he previously had. Uh, the reporter goes there and finds out she, you know, hears the news. This is going, goes there. Pin's trying to get the box from her, um, and he realizes that he can't uh, do this by himself. So he starts creating new Cenobites, and we'll get into the Cenobites of this movie when we get to that part of this discussion. Um, so they're trying to just go after her. You know, they go around killing people, wreaking havoc. You know, there's. CDs flying, killing people. I believe there's, um, I have to say, strings or, or ropes that are killing people. 
reporter tries to go to the church, say, and go to the police, saying, help me, this is happening. I have the only thing that can stop him. Um, Pinhead appears in the church and, and actually kills, I believe, um, kills the priest or tries to kill the priest, you know, asking if there is no, saying there is no God, blah, blah, blah. And so they trapped her at a construction site and Pinhead saying, hey, you know, you have to give this to me. And she realizes uh, that she's able to solve the, she, you know, wants to solve the puzzle box and send them back to hell because that's where she believes that this is, this is possible. Um, kind of goes back into limbo where she comes, where she thought her dad gives a box and it turns out to be pinhead. Pinhead starts to prepare to transfer her into a center by their back. You know, she flashes back to the construction site that she's at and she's able to turn the box into a dagger um, and you know was able to then stab uh, Pinhead and essentially send them back to hell. But be, kind of before that, you see the the spirit of Pinhead's human form say, "Hey, we have to be together." I realize that this has to be this way. No matter what I have to do, you can't be just free to do whatever you want. So he merges back himself. So he gets part of the humanity part. You know, and then goes back to hell, and then the reporter buries the box, the next configuration, in somehow fresh concrete that's sitting there at 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and that's kind of the last of um, the box that we see, but we see the building that's being built there, and it looks like the box, and like it's in, on its walls, and its configuration, and everything like that. So that's kind of how we end the movie. You know, we have this big kind of, I don't want to say cliffhanger, but like a next big step that we could pass, you know, possibly get to in the franchise. So, have you seen this movie before? Or is it just, did you say yeah. number two somehow? Well, I'd, I always, again, I just, I assumed I had watched it when people described it when I looked at it. I was like, oh yeah, I saw this. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I saw, yeah, I saw three. I've seen four, two before. Uh, but no, yeah, I saw this. I've seen it a couple times. I think okay. back around around the time it came out in the nineties. Yeah, early nineties. So, what were your first thoughts about this movie? Did you, did you like? Did you feel like me? This kind of like a weird departure, or do you think it's a natural progression of storyline? Um, I mean, I think it was uh, it was a progression from you know where it was to where you know they wanted to go, where they just wanted to kind of go all out. You know, all the rest of them were kind of centered. Um, you know, around like a house or a mental hospital, you know, it didn't really go out into the world. It didn't show you like what it could do if it goes wrong and ends up in the world. And I think that's just what they wanted to to show. I think they wanted it to be a grander spectacle than it was in the first two. And I think that's why they went with the whole hell on earth title. And I think that's why they went with the whole let Pinhead kill everybody. Right. And, we, you know, and maybe this is a reason why that Cenobites are forming humans, that they can't just do this. It'd be really, really bad. There has to be structure, there has to be laws and rules in place. And you know, we saw, essentially, I'll use the pun, very intended, Pinhead Unchained. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? And, you know, we, we got the house, we went to hell, the, we saw you know, Cenobites walking the earth free to do whatever they want. Um, 
I this like I said I this is probably only the second or third time for me watching this. I mean, like I said, it was like very, very nineties, very apparently nineties. It has you know that feel to it. Um, but overall, it, I don't think it's a horrible movie. To me, like if rewatching it, it I, I know that like Wishmaster came out like five years later. It felt very, especially the pillar seemed very Wishmaster ish to me. It's just that I don't think they really explained the pillar though. Or is Wishmaster Hellraiser? Ah. <laughs> uh, maybe this one, Hellraiser, yes. There you go. So let's get into the Cenobites. Um, well, yeah, in this one, there's like a whole new cast of them. Like yes. they. Um, yeah, he, he decides when he gets out in the club, he makes um, the C, he turns the DJ guy into like CD head who like <laughs> throws CDs, but his head is like stuck with all CDs. He looks like he's got like a CD mohawk and, and stuff. It's right, it's yeah, it's it's goofy looking, but yeah, so there's CD head, Cenobite. Um, then there was like the cameraman who was the journalist's like cameraman buddy, right? Um, who he turned into a Cenobite and he just like made his one eyeball like a big camera. Yeah. Um, and like his power was kind of not that great because he had to like get up next to somebody and then he would say, like, Are you ready for your close up? And then he would like shoot his camera eye like through their head, but he had to be like right next to him to do that yeah so it was like it was very short-sighted centibite whereas like cd man could at least throw his cds right and then we still had the i guess he's piston head with the weird pipes i guess so yeah i don't know where that like those pipes came from it was the the club owner guy and they just like stuck these pipes in his head and they just like kind of like gyrate yeah against his head yeah i think i think it was supposed to like you know, simulate how he was like all about sex or whatever, right? So now he's like constantly getting, you know, his head pounded. Yeah. I think that was what they were going for. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of goofy. He only really shows up for that one little section. Like he's not one of the main ones, like, you know, walking down the street trying to kill people. That's camera head and CD head. But the, that are that doing was that. a camera head that was able to shoot like a rocket out of his face? Or was that a piston head? Was it? I don't know. Maybe it must have been the camera head because Piston Head didn't really do yeah. anything. He didn't show up until later yeah. when they were at that like construction site, and he didn't really do much. He was just there. Yeah. Um. And and so was like the the girl, the 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 roommate girl. She ended up being a Cenobite. She looked like kind of like a a dollar store version of the the female Cenobite from the first. Except movie. she had a cigarette in her neck hole. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, like. The the female Cenobite in the first one smoked through the neck hole, so like that's that's not new. It just she looked like like a like a crappier version. Like I yeah. said, she looked like the dollar store version of it. That's yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, uh, do you feel do you feel like the the Cenobites were very nineties though? Um, I mean, I mean, was would you cons- were- would you consider it to be the modern pleasure and pain Cenobites? I mean, at that time, I mean, obviously CDs are are outdated now, right? Um, but like when like Hellraiser first came out, they would have been futuristic, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, like they were technically out at that point, but you had to be like rich to have them, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, again, like the camera head guy. I don't know. I'm saying for that uh, for that, that for that time frame though, it was like a like I think it was just the idea of we're creating the modern set of bites with today's at that time technology and the pleasure of the human world and who we don't know really how old the Cenobites were previously. Obviously pinhead was at least 40 years of being pinhead. And we don't know, you know, anyone else before them necessarily. Well, if he did it during world war one, like he would have probably, he would have done it before 1919. Okay. So, so it would have been at least 60 60 years. years. Yeah. In the first one, yeah. Right. I mean, how how do you think they stacked up, though, to the other ones? The, the, I'll call the, the original Cenobites. The OG Cenobites? Yes. Um, I, I mean, I thought they were... I mean, obviously, they have more free reign to do whatever they wanted, because they were just, like, murdering people in the street. But I think if Butterball was able to murder people in the street, I think he would have done a much better job. Right. I, I don't disagree. I would like to see, you know, Chatterbox do something. Well, yeah, but I mean, because these guys were like, they just got made Cenobites, like, literally, like, an hour before they went on their rampage. So I think, like, a Cenobite that had been around for a few, cent- you know, centuries or at least decades or something, I think they would have done a lot more damage. But here's the question. Would those Cenobites have not followed the rules? Or do you think because the Will Breaker Pinhead made these, that they didn't care and didn't know about the rules at all. Well, I again at this point in time, yeah, hell I mean Pinhead wasn't following the rules at all. Right. And I think since he made the Cenobites, yeah, they also don't have to follow rules. Um because yeah, I mean like they essentially alluded to the fact that like, you know, the way that she kind of you know freed him or told him about his previous life in the second movie, it kind of like set him free to where he didn't have to follow Hell's rules anymore. Yeah. But but it, and in doing so separated, you know, his halves. Right. And so one half became just ultra evil, one half became his normal self. But yeah, so this is the ultra evil half just murdering whatever it can because somebody let him out. Right. You know, because he like essentially was Frank in the floor, right? Yeah. In that pillar. Right. Like they had to throw blood at him to let him come back and come out. He was just much better at it, so it only took a couple of bodies for him to get back and be totally whole again. Right. Well, because it's his game. He made you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was playing the game, so he knows how to play it. So yeah, it only took a couple of bodies for him to get out. Yeah. Uh, highlights. Let's let's just highlights. It. You know what highlights would you say there were for you in this movie? Um. Uh, I mean, highlights is, is just all the deaths. I mean, there's just so many deaths in this movie i mean it really is like it's almost like a like a mini apocalypse like they're kill all the people in the club they're just like killing people down the street i mean it's like yeah, i don't know how they didn't you know kind of play off of the like they should have had a sequel where they were like talking about what happened right right um i think that i thought that would have been cool but yeah i mean just like all the crazy stuff that they do. And again, I think it was just all the stuff that they had to hold back on before. Yeah. And now they just do whatever they want. Right. And I still like that. The highlight for me, it'd be the highlight would be the lack of still, once again, not really much computer graphics because they weren't particularly good in that time frame. But yeah, I mean, they were still very 
for it being the 90s, I think we started seeing the way from some of these practical effects that we saw in the 80s. I like that they still held to that for this. Mm-hmm. Um, low points. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I kind of wish, you know, they would have continued the story with, with Kirsty. Um, because realistically, I think this is kind of a, a starting of a change, you know, where we start getting different Cenobites, we start getting different um, leads in the franchise at this point. So me, to me, that was, that'd be the low point is because of that. Like, we start seeing that pivot. Um, I wouldn't say become generic, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It, no, it, just, it seems it, it seemed like a departure from the first two. The beginning of the end is what you're trying to say. Right, yeah. How about low points for you? Uh, low points uh, would be in the scene where he is killing everyone in the club. There is this goofy, bizarre scene where he takes the ice from one of the cups and it like jumps up out of the cup and floats in midair and somehow forms itself into his own face. <laughs> and then he said, I don't even remember the line. Cause I was like, my eyes were rolling so far back in my head that I don't even remember what he said, but he said some stupid one liner and then became like an ice knife and stabbed the person in the head. Yeah. It was so stupid looking. It was like just so bizarre. Like everybody else died from hooks and chains and blood and explosions. And it was just this one bizarre, like it must have been some like FX guys like baby where he's like, Ooh, I'm going to make a, a ice knife. <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's just so out of place and so stupid looking because it's like CGI and it looks terrible. Yeah. Um, because it's like early 90s CGI and it's not good. It's just very out of place. Very stupid looking, very bad. And I just, that's the very low point. It cringes every time I see it. Would you say a highlight for this would be the music? <laughs> the soundtrack's pretty Armored good. Saint. Well, Armored Saint was the name of the band that was in yes. the, the club. It's a fake band, but it's, I mean, they were like real music. Um, I would say, I mean, the Motorhead song Hellraiser is from this movie. Like the video has scenes from this movie in it. Yeah. And that song's pretty great. So. I mean, we have we have them. We also have KMFDM in the soundtrack. Yeah, um, Armored Saint apparently is a real band. Well, it might have been after the movie. But I think <laughs> they made it for the movie. That's entirely possible. So, I mean, yeah, the music was pretty good. Uh, like as soon as the credits go, I'm like, oh, that's Motorhead. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> All right. What about number of lament configurations for you on this? Uh, number of lament configurations uh, for Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, I would say and this is just based on where this franchise goes. <laughs> I would say a 7. It's, it's going to be a 7 out of 10 lament configurations. For me. Yeah, I know you're a 7. Because, I mean, it's still good. It's obviously not as good as the first two, um, but it's still good. It's got some fun stuff. There's some goofy, cringy stuff, but it's mostly just from the time period. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure this is a necessary rewatch with the rest. 
No, not really. I mean, if you really, really liked the first two, sure. Yeah, that's fair. All right, you want to go into Hellraiser 4 Bloodlines? (sighs) Hellraiser 4 Bloodlines, directed by the great Alan Smithy. Yes, we got our first Alan Smithy. Um, should I should I say should I give the yeah let's give let's give a background Alan Smithy for those who don't know who Alan Smithy um, is yeah Alan Alan Smithy is basically the name given to a, a movie like a, the the directed by Alan Smithy is if the director essentially wants to disown the movie um if, if the director wants to disown the movie he petitions the director's guild if he can please take his name off of it and then if they give him the permission they say. Okay, and they credit it as Alan Smithy, so that the people watching don't necessarily know that you know <laughs> the the you know the director wants to disown this movie, but everyone in the industry knows. Okay, something bad happened. I, I can tell you when I saw that, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, and it was basically the uh, yeah the. The original director, you know, he had a vision. Um, this was actually pitched with Clive Barker. Clive Barker was involved with the script. Um, he wasn't involved in, in mu- much of the, the movie making itself, but he was involved with the script. He wasn't involved with the pitch. He actually pitched this movie to the studio, and that's why they picked it up. Um, and apparently what happened was is, is while they were filming it, um, because Clive Barker was not involved in that, when they were filming it, um, the studio kind of panicked because they didn't, they're like, oh, this is not going to do you know, well, because, you know, uh, you know, whatever, all these reasons why. So they like, they brought in, uh, you know, they wanted to do reshoots. And so the director was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do the reshoots. Um, you know, he was like exhausted at that time. He's like, I don't want to do reshoots. So they brought in another director and not only did they do reshoots, they literally like rebuilt the movie. They like reshot things to like totally change storylines and stuff. Um, and then when, when the director actually saw, what he did, he immediately was like, yeah, I want to disown this. Movie. Right. This is not, this is not the movie, not necessarily because it was bad because this was not the movie that he made. This was a totally different. Movie. The question is, did, was it the reshoots that made it? Let's call it the, what is Hellraiser in space. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was always that. That part was always there, but um, there was a lot more to what was going on. Right. The plot is essentially it, it it jumps all over the place, but when we start off in space in the far future, right? Yes. Um, so there's like space cop kind of people pulling up to a space station. The space station, I mean, I the first time I saw this movie, I was like immediately like, "That's the box," <laughs> right? I was like, "That's the box," like unfolded because like I know what an unfolded box looks like. Like I put together many cardboard boxes. That's, that's what it looks like. I immediately knew what it was. Anyway, so in the rewatch, I double immediately knew. I'm like, yeah, I of course it's the box. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Um. So they the space cops pull up to the space station, which looks like an unfolded box. Um. You know, they essentially they they find out that like there's only like one guy left. Everybody else is gone. The guy is like not responding to them, and they have to like break in. Now we cut inside the space station, and there's some dude. You know, weird looking shaved head. It looks like it's falling apart inside of there, right? It's all like, you know, old and sparking and, you know, doesn't look like a very well maintained space station. Right. Um, and so we see like this android 
um, doing the lament configuration on the box. Um, so yeah, it opens up the box. Uh, Pinhead comes out, right? Pinhead and some of the Cenobites come out, but they're like, they're trapped in like a room, like he made like a vault kind of thing. And that the, this Android opened up the box in the vault. Um, and so like, you know, these, they're kind of trapped in there, but then they kind of cut to the cops come in there and they're like, Oh, we got you. Like, yeah. But then they go to like a, uh, it's like an interrogation room. Um, and he's not talking to anybody. And the one, there's one like chick cop comes in there and she's like, Oh, let me try. So she goes in there and she's talking and he's like, okay, well, you know, I can tell you the story, but I'm going to have to like start at the beginning. And she's like, you know, okay, we'll start at the beginning. So then, you know, doodly doo flashback. Uh, we go back to like the 1700s, right? Yep. So we're like his ancestor who is it's played by the same actor. His ancestor is a toy maker in, you know, whatever France, 17th century, 18th century. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. It's old timey, old timey France with the, you know, the powdered face and the powdered wigs and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. So he like finishes this box, which is the box, right? So this toy maker makes this box that was commissioned by this rich guy. So he goes to the, you know, his house in the middle of the night to give him this box when he completes it. Um, so he goes to the, to the house. He gives him the box and for some reason, like sticks around <laughs> and is like, peeking through the window and of course um well there's like some old weird aristocrat dude and then there's adam scott <laughs> the adam scott is like his little kind of helper guy yep. right his like protege kind of person um so you know they're like had already like set up this like demon summoning thing right they're like, like the, the circle with the blood and all this stuff and they get all the chains and the hooks hanging from the ceiling and they like had like killed and skinned like a, you know, some courtesan that they had picked up. Right. And so they like, they have the skin like hanging from the hooks in the middle of, of the room. And so they, they use the box to summon this demon. Um, the demon comes in, you know, goes into the skin and becomes, oh, you know, this woman. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they summon, uh, this demon Angelique is is her name, um, and they basically say like, "Oh yeah, the demon has to do whatever we tell it to do because we summoned it, right?" And the only time that it won't is if you get in the way of hell, right? Is what they say. Right. He's like, "What does that mean?" And you know, he doesn't know, but he's like, "Yeah, you can't get in the That's way." That's the of one hell, rule. It's the rule. Is the rule? Right? Yeah. They don't go into that. Whatever. Um, the dude gets caught peeping on him. Um, they, or no, no, he sees the box. Um, you know, he goes in to try to steal the box back because it's like his, you know, whatever magnum opus or whatever. So he wants to get the box back. So he goes in to get the box and he sees like the, the aristocrat guy is like basically dead. And then Adam Scott and the demon Angelique are like, you know, going to town on the bed. So he goes in there thinking that the aristocrat guy is dead. Um, he goes to grab the box. The aristocrat guy is not dead. He gets up and grabs him. It makes noise. They find him. Um, they start torturing him and stuff. His wife, the toy maker's wife, shows up to try to find out where he is. Um, you know, sees him, you know, dying or whatever. He gets out long enough to tell her, get out of here. <laughs> you know, bad things are happening. You need to leave. You know, here's, you know, here's the box. Get out of here. Right. And so then there, and then we cut to, um, modern day so it cuts from like you know 
18th century France, and then we cut to like you know modern day, like 1995 or whatever, <laughs> whatever year it's supposed right, to be. Right, like nine, yeah, 95, 96 ish. Right, right, right. So 95, 96. So this is um, the descendant of the toy maker um, is now an architect. Um, and as is kind of suggested from the third movie, you know, where the, the box got put in the concrete and then they showed that kind of like skyscraper with like, you know, the box kind of, you know, panels on the wall and stuff. Right. Um, so essentially that is a, like a real building. So this architect um, makes this building. Um, you know, he's kind of like a celebrated architect. Everybody loves this, this work that he's done. You know, that's great. Um, so like, yeah, he gets put in an, uh, a magazine, like an article in a magazine, like he gets put on the cover of whatever, like time magazine, whatever it is. Um, so for like doing this great skyscraper, right. He's like, you know, the, the new future of, of, uh, architecture. Um, so we cut back over to France and, uh, Angelique and Adam Scott are still around. They're obviously dressed in modern day clothes. Adam Scott looks like he's a very, very heavy alcoholic. Like he's, he does not look well, right? but obviously he's like, you know, his life has been extended by the demon in some way. Right. Um, and she's like, oh, we should go and, and get the, this is like, it looks like the toy makers descendant. We should go to the U S to get him right. You know, to, to figure out what's going on, you know, to, to get him to, to, to build us another box or to get the box back, whatever. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And she's like, are you sure? And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. So then she kills him because he got in the way of hell, right? You know, that was him refusing her wanting to do something bad. And so essentially, you know, he fails. He gets killed. So she goes to the U.S. by herself. Um, She kind of like seduces her way in there. You know, she's kind of like, you know, manipulating uh the, the guy and then she ends up manipulating the security guards to get into the building she finds the box that was in the concrete which before it was like a concrete slab on the ground but this time it ends up as like a concrete like pillar or something right yeah um so yeah she gets it out she convinces this guy you know through her seduction techniques that oh this is a, a fun you know sex game open the box <laughs> right <laughs> so he opens the box pinhead comes out um you know he that guy is dead but now um you know pinhead obviously knows her right because she's from hell but she's been out of hell for uh, a couple of centuries wasn't now. she a princess of hell um, yeah, he calls her princess, but yeah, she was like obviously some kind of high-ranking person in hell. Um, and they 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 don't they go into it a little bit, but not really. A lot of it you have to kind of like read into. Is essentially like since she's been gone from hell for so long, she doesn't know how hell works anymore, right? She was from an older version of hell, so where they were all about like temptation, and and you know they tempt people to do things, but the people have to make the choice to to do the bad things themselves, right? So like, yeah, they can, you know, they can goad them along and, and, and tempt them, but they can't make them do it. So we're like Pinhead's version of hell is just murder everybody. Yeah. Right? If they want, you know, the, the pain and suffering in any way that you can give it to them, that's what you're going to do. You know, they, they followed the rule of you had to be summoned first, but it looks like at this point, they don't even follow that rule anymore. They just kind of kill whoever, right? As soon as they're unleashed, they just kill whoever until they're put back. Right. Um, so yeah, so they're doing that. Um, and they kind of team up, right? Because they find out that, um, you know, she finds out what, as she's seducing this guy, that there was another design that the toy maker came up with after he figured out that this box was going to summon a demon. He figured out this is a new design that is going to be able to kill the box and all the demons involved. 
right? And he called it the Elysium configuration. Right. Um, and it's like this bizarre looking, it looks, it kind of looks like a box, but like the sides are all separated and there's like lightning in the middle or something. Yeah, like a big swirl of light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. It's, it's not a very good diagram. <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but anyway, so he has, he still has this design, you know, hundreds of years later, he still has this design. Um, so she knows that this is a threat to them because obviously if this goes on, like hell dies, they all die. So like, her and Pinhead kind of team up. There's like a weird kind of like, like kind of like a weird sexual tension going on between them kind of thing. Like it's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of situation. Like they're helping each other, but you can tell they don't like each other, but then sometimes they're like, there's weird tension between them. It's an interesting relationship. The enemy of my enemy. (laughs) Right, right, right. So yeah, so they're all they're basically trying to work together to to make sure that they they kill this guy to make sure that he can't build this Elysium configuration because he's trying to build this computer program that can make this actually a reality, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, they're they're scared of that, so they want to kill him. She's trying to like use her old old ways of temptation and 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 uh, you know manipulation and seduction to try to get what she wants, and Pinhead is just straight up trying to kill him. You know, and then when he can't kill him, he's like, you know, he captures his wife and his kid and he's like, you know, threatening to, to kill them if he doesn't give himself up and all this stuff. You know, it's 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 goofy stuff. Of course, there's Cenobites involved, which are different in this. We'll get into that. In yeah. a oh, they don't really do much. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're just kind of there for flavor. But um, yeah, so basically, um, you know, they stop them. You know, the, 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 the computer program thing fails to work. Um, they kind of, you know, work together, um, and Pinhead ends up eventually, you know, winning and killing him, you know, blah, blah, whatever it's, it's done, you know, the, but the wife ends up closing the box. And so Pinhead goes back to, to hell. So Angelique and Pinhead go back to hell. Um, and then of course that's when we go back to the future, which I think that is like twenty one twenty seven or something, something like that. It's like, every, two, like that. I think yeah. it's like two hundred years between each thing, right? Right, and that's when we find out that this space station, which again, the first second I saw it, I knew it was an unfolded <laughs> box, is uh, a, a big box that's essentially going to contain. Uh, you know, they're going to have the box, and he's that's why he summoned Pinhead and all the other. Cenobites is because he's going to bring him inside the box and then he's going to, he finally perfected his ancestors design of this Elysium configuration. Um, and that's what the space station is going to do. It's going to fold up into the Elysium configuration. It's going to kill, um, you know, pinhead and all the, the, the Cenobites and the box and everything, everything, it's all going to go away. And the portal to hell is going to be closed, destroyed. Yeah. Right. Um, so of course the, the cops are tricked by, um, pinhead and they open up the door to the vault so they get out. So they're walking around the space station, killing all the space cops that are there. Um, and they're kind of moving closer to, um, you know, the guy and the lady cop who were like interviewing at this point, the lady cop believes him, right? Yeah. She's like, okay, so how do we, how do we get this done? So she helps him, um, eventually, you know, get the, the, the Elysium configuration configured. Um, you know, like, okay, they're going to do that. Pinhead thinks he's got him cornered. And then as he goes to like, you know, kill him he finds out it's like a hologram and they're actually like on a ship that's already gone and so they're like while they're already gone they like activate the Elysium configuration and then everybody gets vaporized and happy ending yes 
Did I miss anything? No, I th- that's that's uh, other. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's three. I mean, it's a little confusing because there's three separate storylines. But at least, I mean, they separate them well enough. To, at least they don't jump between them too often. So right, right. And the the guy who is the plays the you know a descendant every single time, uh, the same guy. Mm-hmm. Which I I guess I can see them doing. Um, what was I going with that? <laughs> uh, I mean, no, it's it just it's. Oh, he has. He's able to have like dreams of former ancestors. Like he was, you know, keeping the paper. He was having dreams. He had like a dream of his the the first ancestor that we see, right? And so they they know they have to continue it. And it seems like the third guy who is in space knows all of that as well. Like he also has the same right. visions of. Elysium and of the the puzzle and stuff like that. So it seems to be every two hundred years, one of the descendants in the bloodline knows about that and tries to do something about it. That's fair. Sounds yeah, right. So, what are your first thoughts on this? Was this was this, was this your first time seeing it? No, no, I I had seen it right around when it came out. I mean, I didn't see it in the theater or anything. Yeah, um, I saw it. On video, like I said, I, I think I saw it probably the same time I saw the third. Okay. One. Um, because I was like, oh, let me watch it. Like at this time, again, I was like, oh, I know I've seen the first one. I know I've seen the second one. I'm gonna watch the third one because again, I thought I had seen the second one, which I did not. Right. Anyway, so I watched the third one and the fourth one. Um, and no, I've I've seen it before. I mean, I I liked it. I mean, I like the way that it, it jumps between the different timelines and stuff. I thought it was interesting because it was, you know, putting that sci-fi spin on Hellraiser, which I, at that time, I didn't think they were ever going to do, right? Because Hellraiser doesn't really fit into, like, a science fiction kind of world. Right. Um, I mean, I guess most of these horror franchises really don't, and they're kind of forced and shoehorned in. That's why they always say the space one is the worst, but... um. Again, I, I think this one's better than a lot of the other space ones out there. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's and I thought it was it was good. Um, I mean, I was it was it's it's a kind of different way of telling the story from the first three. But that's yeah, because it's basically all about you know the the, the background in the story, which in the first one it was just kind of suggested, like you know they never said where the box came from or what it was. You just assumed it was like a tool of the demons, right? Right. Um, but this one like goes into all that, so you get like a lot of lore and background in this one, which I love. right. Uh, I said I, I I couldn't tell you when I said I probably saw this about two thousand two thousand one for the first time. Rewatch, ah, uh, it's okay. Um, I think you know as we discussed before, why does everything go to space? I feel that Event Horizon was a better Hellraiser in space than this was. Um, it was uh, it was weird. I don't know. I never explained how Adam Scott, who was a human, was able to stay alive for two hundred years. Well, I'm guessing the demon, like, like he was he was tethered to the demon, drink drinking her blood or something. I don't know. I'm sure there was something that you know he asked her to do, or that you know because he had a pet demon. Again, it's something like that. I mean, but again, that, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he he was alive for 200 years or whatever, but that was mostly time skip. And then he died in the very first scene that he was in in the future. So it doesn't, doesn't matter that much. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, when I saw this first time, I didn't know who Adam Scott was. No, not at all. I mean, I had no idea either. And now I rewatched it, like, oh, he's actually in this almost more than Pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But no, yeah, he's in. I mean, that that whole like you know plot line in the in Paris in the 18th century, like he's yeah, he's a major character, in right? So let's get into the lore then, right? So we we kind of see the origins of the lament configuration. How did you mm-hmm. how did you feel about the lore and the origin of the box? Do you think it was like we finally got answers that we've been asking for the past three movies? Um, well, you got some answers, but they never really answer what the box is doing or what, like, is a toy maker just made a box, a puzzle box, right? And then he gave it to them and they immediately used it to raise a demon. Well, I, so like, they use the box How does or that box was he, was he using the box as an easier way of summoning and trapping the demon? Right. He was, but I. That's what I'm saying. Like, how would he, how would they know that? I mean, does it, again, they never go into like where he got the idea from or if the toy maker just made this and they used it. I mean, again, they don't really explain any of that. They just say the box is used to summon the demon and that's it. That's all. They see, say. I, I took it as they summon the demon in the box. You see the box during the summoning ritual, you see the box go through its steps like it was triggered from the vibration. And so, therefore, right. there, it was some accidentally got incorporated into the spell. That's the way I, I viewed it. Well, I, again, it's like they, they knew what it was going to do, and they basically, they told him that he was now cursed for making it. Yeah. But they never went into, like, well, who the who came up with the design to do that? Like, who knew how to summon a demon with a box? And who did, did he know innately how to make it? Is that, uh, I mean, whatever. They, they didn't go into, there's a lot of questions that were unanswered for me, at least in that part. But yes, this is the origin of the box. This is who created it and why. Now, what do you think of them going, I mean, for 115 years from that, we won't be alive when this takes place. But I mean, how do you feel about it going that far into the future? Do you think it could have stopped in 1996? And not gone that far um, forward. I mean, it could have, but I think at that point, I think there was probably two reasons. One was probably they wanted to make some more sequels, yeah, right. And you can't make a sequel for something that you ended. Well, I mean, you can, but it's cheap. If you have to keep like bringing them back from you know the beyond, it gets cheapened over time, right? So it's just like everybody just expects like he's never going to be dead because. You can't kill him, right? He just keeps coming back, no matter what. Oh, you just send him to hell right. temporarily, right? So I think they wanted that this final death to be the end, but they wanted to leave a lot more room to have stories in between there, right? Because like when he kills him and then gets sent back to hell in '96, he doesn't come back into that story until 2020 or yeah, 2127, which all kinds of stuff could have happened between there because obviously the box still existed. Right. And we don't know where it was or who was using it or why in between there. So there's plenty of room for that. And I think the second one was they just wanted to have a you know, cool set piece <laughs> to put it in space uh, because they were trying to think of a, a way to contain everything inside of a box. And they're like, well, space station would be able to do it. And there you go. Bam. bam. Right. 
Now, do you feel that the Cenobites are timeless, that when they get called, it's like no time passes for them? You know, so for so um, Pinhead, it just seemed like three separate days <laughs> in a row. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at it, he was uh, an officer of World War One, right. right? And that was his age in World War One. And then when he got zapped back to being a normal person again, 70 years later, he looked exactly the same. So, yeah, no time passes for them. The hell is like a timeless dimension. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think any time passed at all. I mean, I think they probably got summoned back and forth a lot of times between there. And they probably had, you know, doing whatever they do, you know, in hell, hell parties or whatever. In between there, it just didn't, it doesn't age them. It just doesn't, the time doesn't mean what it means to us. Now, do you feel this stepped on the toes of the lore that we established that Pinhead's able to do whatever he feels like and not have rules? Um, I mean, kind of. I, I think they were like, they tried to steer it back a little bit, right? Yeah. But I mean, in the, in the third one, he, to be fair, he didn't come out of the box. Someone didn't summon him the first right. time. Like he was stuck in that pillar and he had to come back like Frank with blood and shit like that. And when he came back, he was again, just the evil part of him. There was the other half wasn't there. So, I mean, yeah, that that's the, explains why he was so crazy in the third one. But at the end of it, he does get put back in hell, both halves. Right. Of so in this one, he comes back with at least some of the old rules. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, that experience made him a bit more unhinged. I think in the first and second one, he was, I mean, he was fucked up and he would murder people and do horrible things to them. But I think he had that sense of honor, right? Like, you know, again, hearts, not hands. We're called by people who desire, you know, pleasure and pain or whatever. We don't, you know, not just because somebody solved the box. So whereas the franchise moves forward, it's like whoever, you know, if anybody touches the box, they're immediately murdered, right? right? So I'd like it. I mean, it's a change over time, but again, with all the changes that happened in the third one, I can, it makes sense that he's a little bit unhinged in the later one. All right. So, uh, highlights though for uh, highlights for me. Uh, I'm not sure. I have very many highlights. Like we, we're starting to get into the nineties graphics with the CG. Um, I guess the highlight would be, it is, Logically, uh, the next step of, if you want to call it cliffhanger, from the third one. What about for you? Um, I mean, I liked that. I mean, I liked with the you know a lot of the the lore that came back up. How they had the you know the 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 time breaks between you know like when it was created to like you know a kind of middling you know present day, so that people can get you know at least, you know, involved in it at the present day time and then in the future, because obviously I love sci-fi stuff, but I think, I thought they did a good job with, with holding it together. Um, I really would like to see what they would have done with the original script because the original script sounded a lot more interesting. Yeah. The movie that never was. Correct. What about low points for you? Um, at low points is, is really just knowing what was cut out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just and just knowing that there could have been so much more, I think was is really the low point to me. Points for me, like I said, the graphics were pretty bad. 
I'm not sure, you know, the story was as good as it could have been. Definitely not as strong, you know, and kind of why this was the last one released even in theaters at this point. Um, as I, you know, we, we discussed lore and background and stuff in the past. And I guess, you know, some of the mystery is still there with the box, but I guess it's okay-ish to explain it, but they need, I think, more explanation. Honestly. Um, I mean, yeah, there, I mean, there could have been more to it, but I mean, also, I mean, there's so much more going on, like, in the hell politics that they just touched on yeah. in this, that they never really went back to. Right. <laughs> like, this is the last we see of, like, any of the real lore or any of the like interesting things or, or politics. Uh, um, I mean, obviously there's a couple more I still have to watch. Yeah. But so far there's been nothing. Now we have, we did Cenobites for this one though. Mm-hmm. We had Pinhead. Yep. Who else do we have? The Twisty Twins. We didn't get the Twisty Twins, didn't they? Were they like the, the, the cops in the, in the 90s? Or the security guards, not the cops. That were yep. twins. And then they their heads got pulled and then twisted with like and then twisted together, right? Um, and then what the was it the was this one with the hell dog? Yep. dog? That was pretty much it. Um, well, Angelique in the future storyline did come out as a Cenobite. So where she had hold on a second. Oh, that was yeah. Angelique in the future. Um, yeah, she had like her head was like. They cut like the skin of her head, and then it was like peeled back with like those guitar strings to her shoulders. Yeah. Um. So she was like a Cenobite, but only in the future. In in the past and in the present storyline, she was like a normal looking person, but in the future, she definitely looks like a Cenobite. Yeah. Was it because she got went back to hell? Right. That was her, yeah, that was her yeah, true form end, versus being a demon possessing right. a human body that they had. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of the the present storyline, they get the wife closed the box and they went back right, to hell. So she got removed from the human body that she was using. Right. All right. Lament configurations for me. I'm gonna go down to a six for this franchise at this mm-hmm. point for this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's fair. I'd, be, I'd probably, I'd probably be on board with the six. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, it's not the greatest, but I mean, considering where we'll go from here, it's, yeah, it's watchable. It's watchable. Right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But again, I really would want to see <laughs> the original <laughs> cut of this movie and all this. The original cut was like the Angelique and Pinhead were like, uh, almost that war. There was like a aggressive fight between them. It was like a political fight for hell. Right, the leader almost. of hell, essentially. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, she was like you know trying to whatever. Yeah. There's there's a lot more to it, but it was it sounded a lot more interesting. But all right, and then this last one, we'll we'll tag team the plot. <laughs> okay. Uh, just for for time's sake. So, I mean, essentially. What we get is we have a detective who um, we see and, you know, he uses drugs. He's, you know, not faithful to his wife. 
Um, eventually, he gets to a murder scene that he's looking at, and he discovers the puzzle box. And so uh, he solves the box, which I don't know why they always say solve the box, but he solved the box, opened the box, and he starts having hallucinations. Um, we get to see these weird Cenobite women that we'll discuss a little bit more. Um, and he starts kind of investigating the murder where there's what a, at each murder scene, was there a, a finger of a child left at the scene? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and these murder and these murders that are happening are people that are like directly related to. Right. So like the very first murder that he goes to is like some guy that he knew from high school, which is, I mean, it's a, yeah. Not a close relationship, but at least he right. And then, and then the second one is the hooker that he hired. Right. Um. Yeah. He goes like you know he, he sleeps with the hooker. He goes to work and he gets a f- weird phone call from the hooker where she's like screaming, "Help me!" or whatever. And so he goes back to the hotel and he finds her dead in the shower. Blood everywhere, kind of hung. Right. Right. Yeah. So like the this is bad news. He like tries to bring his partner in, like saying, "Hey." Like you knew I was at you know work, like I couldn't have done this. And the you know partner is like, oh, we should tell the boss, and he convinces him not to, but kind of knows that it's going to happen anyway. So he tries to frame his partner. So yeah, like he's not a good dude, right? Right. And then um, yeah, he, he goes, he starts, you know, making connections to the murderers, and then they're talking about the engineer, right? The engineer, this big bad, overarching guy who runs all these this crime, and it's just a you know, no one knows who he really is. And, you know, and anyone the cops going to talk to, he ends up damn getting killed. Right. Yeah. Like he goes to like his, his known, um, you know, yeah. snitch. Right. And, uh, who's like this weird, creepy, like pedophile ice cream truck yes. guy. I don't know. Which was disturbing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he has a vision that this guy dies. He knows exactly how he dies and, and exactly where the, child's finger is going to be at the murder scene so he goes to the murder scene and they're like he died exactly the way they said he did and he knew exactly where the finger would be so at this point they're like suggesting like okay like you probably killed these people like they're like he's a suspect and they're like actively like trying to accuse him of these right crimes. and he starts seeing therapy for his hallucinations and the therapist is james uh i don't know how to say the last name it's reamer, reamer. Just, yeah reamer and he's telling all this stuff, right? He's just trying to help help him explore his hallucinations, and you know, he's kind of walking through his his progress of how he's trying to find the engineer this entire time. Right, and then he goes to like the weird cowboy poker yes. place, which is I don't know what that was, was up a weird that, scene, but he like, yeah, it was like. It was like chasing this cowboy through the forest, and then all of a sudden the cowboy wasn't there, and then he was like seeing centibites in the trees. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense that's happening. I mean, he's basically just having visions, kind of like descending in the spiral of madness, kind of thing. Right. Um, and then we we eventually he, he figures out that James Reamer is the engineer that he's you know there he's the one he's been looking for and you know you don't find the engineer the engineer finds you they kept saying that like every single person is talking to you about the engineer 
Um, right. And we find out the engineer is actually Pinhead in disguise and kind of going through this. And you find out through this weird sequence, like he's having these dreams, like he's in the childhood. He sees his, you know, dad abusing his mom. He shoots his dad. Um, and like he goes back there as an adult and they're back alive and he has to kill him. And they're kind of slowly realizing that the, the fingers of the child are him from when he was a child. Right. Um, and essentially the kind of the, the ending is we find out that once he opened the lament configuration, he was in hell. And he was paying for all his sins. Would you say that's a good way of describing the ending? That yeah, that's what they were trying to go for. It's like his we were we were slowly seeing his descent into madness and his going through. I would say that you know the different le- you could say the different levels of hell, each diving deeper into the root of everything. I mean that that's really all it's it's, it's a very like seven ish you know, crime thriller, but it seems like the Cenobites and Penny were just kind of thrown in after the fact. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, like a neo-noir like detective story is what I think probably the original script was as I think it was like a neo-noir detective story of like some guy investigating murders that, you know, end up framing him for murders, which again, pretty cool story. I mean, I think that there was a good script in here at one point in time. Right. I think I think it just got hacked into a Hellraiser story when it wasn't it's not a Hellraiser story. Right. Do you do you think we had a little bit of the unreliable narrator in this too? Uh I mean, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, there's nobody is reliable in this movie. It's it's hard that's I mean, the interesting part about it is you don't know what's going on. Cuz like you don't know what's happening. You don't know what to believe. I mean, there's things that are happening. Like, I mean, Pinhead makes an appearance like earlier in the movie in like a dream, but he just like stands there. He doesn't, like, nobody reacts to him. Right. So it's, yeah, there's just a lot of odd stuff happening. And I find it interesting that, you know, I saw the name of the director and writer on this, which is Scott Derrickson, who's done some pretty good things recently. He helped, he wrote Multiverse of Madness. Um, he wrote Black Phone. He's, He's done, he was like a script doctor for some of the Scream movies. He's a pretty bigger name or common name in horror a little bit now than he was. This is 22 years ago, about almost to the day, 22 years ago, this came out. And, you know, this is our first, this is our first straight to DVD Hellraiser. Well, we all got to start right. somewhere. Um, so. First thoughts for you. Um, I mean, first thoughts for me is like watching the movie um, was like, this isn't a Hellraiser movie. <laughs> like this is, this is really not a Hellraiser movie. Again, thinking about this script, like I, I, again, I think the story was, was, was a good story before they tacked on all this weird Hellraiser stuff onto it. Like, I mean, you take out the box and you take out Pinhead, and it's a it's it's the same movie. I mean, it really doesn't add anything to it. It was really, you know, it really feels like it was a script that existed before, 
yeah, I needed a Hellraiser movie, so they just tacked on some Hellraiser pieces onto this movie, and then to film right. it is what it felt like. Um, it's not necessarily a bad movie. I, like I said, I think the story is interesting, and I think the story would have been better as a standalone, probably rolling with the original script. I think it would have been much better. Uh, but again, it's not a bad story. It's just not a Hellraiser story. Right. It almost seems like how 10 Cloverfield Lane was a Cloverfield movie, but really wasn't until the very end. Right. And that's what, like that tacking on. Like I think 10 Cloverfield Lane was going to be its own separate thing. And then they decided to make it part of the Cloverfield universe. And that's what this movie is. It's a different psychological crime thriller with Hellraiser pinned to the end, just to make it a part of a bigger universe. Right. Uh, I'm trying, I, I don't recall seeing this on my, my franchise. This might've been, this might've come out uh, right after I did the franchise, or I may have this, this might've been the last one I saw in my franchise run. I mean, some of it seems very familiar, but I don't call it a lot. And, uh, this, yeah, this is for sure the first time I've watched it. Yeah, because this is a time frame where you kind of shied away from horror movies, the 2000-ish era. Right, especially straight to video. Ones, right. Yes. Um, so, the Cenobites, if you, I mean, if you want even call them Cenobites at this point in time, I, I mean, to me, they seem very, very poor. I understand it was attacked on things, so it didn't really either, but I mean, we had what the the twins or the two women Cenobites that had like mm-hmm. stitched up faces and we had uh Chatterbox back but he was just a head and arms and he looked very much like the creature from Basket Case. Yeah. And that's it. I, and Pinhead obviously. Right. I mean they, they tried to go a little bit into like the pleasure pain thing where they had like the twin you know, guitar string face yeah. ladies, um, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, sensually rubbing on him and stuff like that. But then they were like going under his skin, pulling his heart, and, you know, like his heart out, blood yeah. on her. Right. I mean, but yeah, but stuff like that. I mean, they tried to go into that a little bit, but then he just like walked away from that. Like it like didn't affect him at all. It was like, you know, like normally when the Cenobites are involved, there's like, you know, hooks, chains, death, blood, Pain. you know, yeah, people people's body parts being tacked onto a spinning board. You know, it's like not just like, Oh yeah, that was great and all, but I'll see you later. Like, that's not, that's not what the, what the Zenobites are. Supposed yeah. to do. Um, do you, how do you feel about the lore? Do you feel there's any lore that added to the Hellraiser franchise? I don't think there was. No, there was like not. Said, it's just a descent into hell and madness. Well, I mean, again, considering, I mean, you look at all the other movies in this, in this series, the way that they talked about the engineer is that he was like a fixture there, yeah. right? Like he, people had heard of him working in the shadows for a long time. That's not how Pinhead he works. He was never covert. He, right. Well, and not only that, but he was, he was called out of the box. Like he lived in hell until he was called out. He didn't live in the normal world as like a underworld mafia boss. So they kind of pushed him off as yeah you know? yeah i was i don't know there's just a lot of things when you when you look further into it, just a lot of things don't yeah work. i mean should what about any highlights for you i mean i know you like the neo-noir aspect i imagine that's a highlight yeah for like you. i said 
Yeah, I mean, the story itself, again, you take away the, the Hellraiser elements, or even with the Hellraiser elements, I guess, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good story. I mean, it, it's a fun story. Again, it wasn't particularly well acted. It wasn't particularly well executed. <laughs> um, but I think, I think the original script was probably a really good script because it sounded like a good story. I think if it was done better, if it was done without the tacked on Hellraiser stuff and just done as a standalone movie with better actors and a better director, I think it would have been a good movie. I think it would have been solid. Yeah. Because it's an original story and it's it's a fun story. It just yeah, I, th- I think it just failed in the action. Do you think this is the movie so far in this franchise that we're at this point that this is the least amount of pinhead? Uh yeah. I feel like definitely. it's meant for two minutes. I mean yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I said, there's the one part where he appears in a dream, but he doesn't say yeah. anything. And then really you don't see him until the very end. Right. And I'm just I'm really surprised so, that Doug Bradley even came back. Like, why? Well, because well, they probably told him, yeah, we can get all your scenes done in a day. This <laughs> is probably about how long it took, is my guess. Probably most of the day was putting the makeup and costume. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I mean, highlights, like I said, I, mean, I agree with you that it was an interesting film noir, crime noir story that it could have been anything else, though, and not been Hellraiser. And it had been, been okay. Um, about low points, though. <laughs> I mean, besides the movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to... I mean, low points is, yeah, I mean, just overall quality. I know this is a straight-to-video. I'm not expecting it to be, like, the high production values and stuff, but I just felt like it was poorly executed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the acting wasn't particularly great. It was it was kind of forced and cheesy. Um, you know, like, again, it just everything felt kind of, like, loose and, and not very well done. Just kind of pushed out the door. It really felt like a beat. like a sci-fi TV movie. But horror. Right. right. <laughs> Correct. I mean, obviously that was more like gore and swearing and stuff than those movies would normally have, but it really felt like that kind of production. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, I completely agree with that. And like I said, the low point is the Hellraiser part. It's not Hellraiser. Right. So. But that's lament configurations for you out of ten. Uh, lament configurations out of ten. Um, I'll give it a five. Like five lament configurations out of ten, simply because there was a good story there at some point before it was kind of butchered out, yeah. right? Um, but it was enjoyable enough. I mean, again, where this goes is downhill from here um so like this one looking back at this one it look it feels much better <laughs> than it does at some of the later ones but we'll get we'll, we'll get into that but yeah as far as like looking into the future i'll give it a five out of ten yeah i will i will definitely agree with the with the five out of ten on this one um but yeah i mean this is kind of our, our first part of the first five movies of the Hellraiser franchise. We have five more to go, plus the reboot that comes out on the 7th of October, 2022. Um, so yeah, we'll be recording that and putting this out relatively in the same week. 
Um, anything else you want to discuss about this this first part of the Clive? We we'll call it the Clive Barker involvement of Hellraiser. Um, not really. I mean, just saying, like, yeah, it, it, it's it's starting to go downhill, but just a warning that it's worse <laughs> right. from here. All right. Well, then, stay tuned for part two of the Hellra- Hellraiser franchise. We'll be discussing, like I said, next five Hellraiser movies plus the reboot slash revival. We'll have to see what that is when we get to it. So until have high hopes. Yes, high hopes. High I have hopes. high hopes as well. <laughs> so until then, I'm Graveyard saying, "Have you checked on the children?" Uh, this is Salem saying, "Long live the new flesh." Right.